welcome to Sex for Money, the podcast where we talk about the business of writing, publishing, and selling romantic and erotic fiction. Today we're going to pick up where we left off with the last episode. Uh, We're in part two of three in our three-part series on how to make money writing erotic and romantic fiction. Uh, And then for the second half of the episode, we're going to talk about what's been known on the internet as Cockygate. Uh, if you don't know what that is, stick around and you will find out and probably be a bit disgusted. So let's jump right in this. Last month, uh, we started our three-part series on how to make money writing erotic fiction by talking about one of the three approaches, which is to write for yourself. That's where you don't necessarily consider the marketplace or your target audience or what particularly hot and selling. Uh, you just write what you want to write and what the then we discuss what the implications are of choosing that approach to writing erotic and romantic fiction. Uh, this month we're going to talk about writing for the market and what that means and how that impacts sales and marketing um, and how that approach differs a little bit from writing for yourself. As I've mentioned many times, I do have multiple pen names. Uh, Originally, I did want to sort of reveal all and use my pen names, um, but I've kind of decided I want to back off from that a little bit. Uh, So I won't name my pen names, but today we're going to talk about pen name number two, which I created specifically to try this writing for the market approach. Uh, So some backstory. Um... I primarily write for myself under the pen name of Cameron D. James, and I do decent. I mean, at the time when I was exploring writing for the market, my sales were decent. My sales are much better now for Cameron D. James, um, largely due to writing what I want and then having my audience find me, which is one way that this happens. Uh, But I wanted to expand my platform. I want to try new things. I want to see if I can chase that uh, high sales figure that so many people on the internet brag about, um, which I believe so many people on the internet also exaggerate or lie about. There are people that do phenomenally well, um, but I think a lot of people exaggerate how they do so that they can appear to be authority figures. But that's a discussion for another day. Writing for the market is pretty straightforward, uh, and it is sort of how a lot of writers are recommended to break into not just this genre, but any genre. Um, Basically, you go and research what the best-selling authors in your genre are doing, and then you try and do that. In one sentence, that is what writing for the market is. So to give you a much more concrete example, let's say that you want to write paranormal romance. If you're writing for yourself, you might be like, oh, I want to write about witches. Witches are my jam. That's what I'm going to do. It's going to be the best story ever. However, and keep in mind, I know nothing about the current market on paranormal romance. You might go on to Amazon and find out that you know what, witches aren't really the hot trending thing right now. Maybe it's werewolves. To be honest, it probably is werewolves. Uh, Vampires have sort of run their course. Um, Bigfoot and other mythical creatures have also sort of run their course. Um, And these things are cyclical, so they will be coming back. Um, I think werewolves are the hot thing right now. Anyway, 
So if you're writing for the market, you would change your approach. Okay, I'm no longer going to write about witches. I'm going to write about werewolves. Now, it goes a little bit further than that, because what you should do is then read the top three, top five, or top ten books in that specific subcategory. So you would read the best-selling werewolf paranormal romances and find out you have to really examine the stories as you read them. Figure out what sorts of conflicts are the characters getting into, how explicit is the romance or the sex scenes, um, are there any tropes they're using, is mpreg a big thing in werewolf fiction? I know there is a subset of werewolf fiction that does have mpreg. Uh, is it MM werewolf? Is it MF werewolf? Is it FF werewolf? You have to really figure out what people are buying and then build your story around that. Um, you also need to look at how long are the books that people are buying. Are they full-size novels? Are they novellas? Are they short novellas? Are they short stories? Um, wild guess, without even looking on Amazon, they're probably thirty to 50,000 words um, that are doing well, uh, because that tend to be the ideal length for ebooks nowadays. So once you've got all that data, then you rush to write a story as fast as possible, while still putting in as much quality and professionalism as you can. And then to continue to write for the market, you have to examine things like the cover. You want your cover to look like the covers that are in the best-selling lists. You want something that looks like a bestseller, but something that a fan of those books would see your book and say, oh, I need to read that one next. This could impact your title. You want a title that sounds similar to what other authors are doing on the bestseller list. And I don't necessarily mean you need something that sounds exactly the same. But let's say you're a fan of longer titles that are five or six words long. But when you look at the bestseller list, you see all the bestsellers have one or two word titles. You'll want to change your titles so that it kind of fits in the mold that's being set by other authors. This uh, writing for the market continues into marketing. You have to find out where these authors are promoting their books and you need to do the same thing. That could be through a newsletter, it could be through bookbub promotions, it could be through um, social media, it could be through Facebook groups. There are a lot of Facebook groups for romantic and erotic fiction um, that a lot of people find very helpful in their marketing efforts. Uh, I try to stay off Facebook as much as possible, so I can't really speak to personal experience on that. So once you've written a story that fits in with what's hot and trending, you've got a cover that fits in with hot, what's hot and trending, same with your title and your blurb and your marketing approach, everything fits in with what's hot and trending, your book may or may not be hot and trending. It's, there's sort of like this magical luck chance element to publishing. You could be doing everything right and still not do well. You could do everything wrong and do phenomenally fantastic and blow everybody out of the water. There's really no formula to this. You can approach it with a formula in mind. I definitely do that. Um, but that formula doesn't necessarily guarantee a certain outcome. So let's give you a little bit of backstory about my approach to writing for the market. Uh, this is back when... Kindle Unlimited used to pay 
per book read. Um, so if you're rather newer to the self-publishing game, uh, you'll know that currently Amazon uh, Kindle Select or Kindle Unlimited books are paid on the pages read. Uh, currently, I think it's about a little less than half a cent per page. It used to be you would get a certain amount per read of your book, no matter how far they got in your book and no matter how short or long your book was. And for a long while, it was hovering about $1.40 uh, per book read through the Kindle Unlimited slash Kindle Select program. So I wanted to get in on that or try to get in on that. Um, and because you were paid a certain amount per book read, no matter how long your book was, short stories were doing phenomenally well. You can bang out a short story in a couple hours, um, might take as long as a day. Uh, if you're really working at it, uh, you can do it really quick. So you just bang out a short story, you grab a cover, make a blurb and a title. And if you're moving really fast and pumping out a lot of stuff, you've probably got a formula and a system going. And it's basically, you can write those things up and do the cover really quick and get it up online on Amazon. Uh, so I had decided to try that. Uh, I started a new pen name that focused exclusively on short stories. Uh, and I also wanted to see if there was a difference between MM and MF um, stories. So I wrote both. I even wrote some threesome stories that are bisexual. So two guys and a girl or two girls and a guy. Uh, and threw them all up on Kindle Unlimited. And like I would think I was pumping out two stories a week, which there are authors that would be publishing out, pu pushing out a story or two per day. But I couldn't quite do that because, one, I have a full-time day job, and two, I still have my Cameron D. James pen name that requires some time put into it because I rely more on that pen name than this experimental new one. So anyway, I was putting out about two stories a week, uh, publishing them onto Amazon through the Kindle Select slash Kindle Unlimited program. Uh, and it went okay. Um, I didn't really have that many books downloaded and um, didn't really make a lot of money. Uh, but about two weeks into this, maybe three weeks into this, that's when Amazon changed their Kindle Unlimited payment structure so that now you're paid per page rather than per book. So that meant rather than getting a dollar forty. For someone reading a short story, I would get about seven or eight cents, um, maybe 15 cents. I can't remember. It's been quite a while. So it no longer became viable at all. Um, and because the payment structure changed, that meant the big money makers on Kindle Unlimited also changed because short stories were no longer a money making thing through Kindle Unlimited. What you needed was longer stuff. So suddenly it became full-size novels and box sets, bundles, anthologies, whatever you want to call them, that became like the big thing um, to make money on. Ideally, I should have changed my approach, um, but I couldn't really shift to writing novellas or novels or bundles or box sets under this new pen name because I just did not have the time or energy to do that because... Still, my Cameron D. James pen name was my big moneymaker, so that had to be where all of my attention went. So I just still did short story, short story, short story, short story, 
Um, I did take my books out of Kindle Unlimited um, and stopped putting new books into Kindle Unlimited and decided to go wide because there's no sense in Kindle Unlimited for me as a short story author under that pen name. If I'm making seven cents or 15 cents per short story read, that's pointless. Um, but if I sell a short story at two ninety nine, which would get me, um, what is it, a buck forty for no, seventy cent, two ten. So if I sell a short story at two ninety nine, I get two dollars and ten cents. If I reach even a fraction of the readers through selling books that I was reaching through the Kindle Unlimited program, I'm still making more money, right? Because Making two ten on one sale is equivalent to however many readers have to read the short story at fifteen cents a read. It just made more sense, uh, and I did find that I had an audience on because by going wide, I put my books on Smashwords and they distributed to their partners, and I did find I had an audience on Barnes and Noble and iBooks. I don't really have an audience on Kobo, but I have an audience on Barnes and Noble and iBooks. I didn't really follow the market that closely. I didn't do as much research as I should have. Um, but I was sort of following changes in the market and um, successes in the market versus writing for myself. I was writing stories that when I was writing the stories, I was involved in them. I was passionate about them, but they weren't the same as the sort of quote unquote passion projects that I was doing through Cameron D. James. Uh, and then as my as the weeks and months went on and my sales went on, then I would constantly look at back at what has been selling the most. So I found out that a uh, gay BDSM short story that hinted at Dubcon, but wasn't actually Dubcon, uh, was selling really well. So I wrote a few more stories along those lines. Um, I found out also that a cougar slash milf story was selling really well. So I wrote a whole bunch of more stories in those lines. So that was sort of like market research within my own catalog. Didn't really have the enthusiasm to check out the Amazon bestseller list and find out what was best selling uh, and then mimicking that. Instead, I ended up looking at what I was selling and mimicking my bestsellers. Uh, so it is still a writing for the market approach, but it's not as aggressive as actually researching the market. So writing for the market does impact your sales patterns because what's hot today might not be hot tomorrow. So if you put all your time and energy into those werewolf romances, and then in two months from now, no one's reading werewolf romances, everyone has moved on to mermaid romances actually i think mermaid romances are on an uptrend right now then your sales for your werewolf romances will plummet they may they might not hit rock bottom you probably won't stop selling because there will always be people interested in all of these different subgenres. but your sales will go down so what that means is if you are exclusively writing for the market you have to stay on top of changes in the market and you have to be prepared to um, take on those changes so if it is true that people are stop are moving away from werewolf romances and are moving towards mermaid romances you have to be prepared to start banging out those mermaid romances um, 
And if you've never read or written a mermaid romance before, that means doing all that research again to find out what is selling in mermaid romances and how the plots are structured, what the characters are like, what the book length is. Maybe mermaid romances are longer than werewolf romances. I don't know. You'll have to find out if you're going to research it. You're going to have to find out what the covers are like, what the titles are like, what the blurbs are like, and you're going to have to shift your whole platform to tackle these mermaid romances. To me, that sounds like a lot of work, uh, and it's not something I'm prepared to take on, which is why I primarily write under my Cameron D. James pen name, and I write for myself versus anything else. Uh, Writing for the market does take a lot of time and a lot of energy. It can lead to much better sales than any other approach. Uh, However, those sales are, as I said, a lot more volatile. All it takes is a shift in the marketplace, and you might have very few people reading what you have to offer. Uh, And you have to change your approach because of that or decide what you want to do. Some people, honestly, they give up on writing when these sorts of things happen. Uh, And I don't blame them because it's a lot of work and then all of a sudden no one's reading it anymore. And it's like, do I really want to go through all of that with mermaid romances only to find out that three months later I have to move on to vampire romances? So there is that aspect to it as well. And when I do talk about these three approaches, so last month was uh, writing for yourself, this month is writing for the market, and next month is writing for your target audience, there is no right or wrong way to do it. There's no, there's really not one approach that's better than the other. Uh, they all have their upsides and their downsides. Um, so with writing for yourself, uh, to summarize last month, it can be harder to find your audience. It might take a long while to find your audience. But once your readers find you, then they're a bit more dedicated to you. So sales start slow and they are slow to grow. Uh, but then they tend to stay consistent. Whereas writing for the market, you're probably going to have much higher sales, much more immediate sales, uh, but they could also fall off really quickly. Uh, And next month, we will talk about writing for your target audience and how that might look like. For the second half of this month's episode, I want to talk about what's known on Twitter and Facebook as cocky gate. I'm hard of hearing, so sometimes I don't pronounce things correctly, uh, especially if I'm focusing on one word like cockygate. Uh, so I'll just spell it out in case for some reason it wasn't clear. C-O-C-K-Y-G-A-T-E. Cockygate. To give you some backstory, and I'm not going to get into all of the specifics because this is a huge thing that is continually unfolding, and there's all these different legal opinions, and there's all these different things that are going on. Uh, And I don't have the legal expertise to say whether someone is correct or incorrect. And I don't know enough about trademark law to really weigh in on these things. And there's so much information flying around left and right that it's really hard to keep up. However, to give you a summary, erotic romance author Felina Hopkins decided to trademark the word cocky She writes a series called The Coker Brothers or The Cocker Brothers. Not quite sure how she wants it to be pronounced. Uh, And so she's got this uh, subtitle that has the word cocky in it, and all of her titles have the word cocky in it. And so she's sort of built a brand around um, the word cocky. Uh, And so she's decided to trademark it. 
What she specifically actually trademarked is something called a word mark, which is a combination of a word and a font. So she didn't really trademark the word cocky. She trademarked the word cocky in a specific font for titles and subtitles. However, Felina Hopkins is using this like a sledgehammer and she is going through the uh, erotic romance community on Amazon and swinging that sledgehammer around and smashing everything up. Uh, she is sending, has been sending emails to other authors who have the word cocky in their title, uh, saying that she does not want to take this to her lawyer or to Amazon quite yet, but she is warning you that she has trademarked the word cocky, and because you have cocky in your title or subtitle, you need to change it, and really it's no big deal. All it takes is changing a few things in the back end, and like, no big deal, just do it. That's sort of the approach that she's been taking. But as any author can tell you, it is not just that simple to change your title so it does not have the word cocky in it. Number one, you have to come up with something that sounds similar or is appropriate. You can't just pick any old adjective out of the thesaurus. You need to pick something that has the same uh, innuendo or the same emotional impact that the word cocky does. Two, you have to get a new cover or change your cover. And if you bought your cover from a professional cover artist, there might be some fees associated with that. There might be a wait time associated with that. Then you have to change the word in the metadata on KDP, which that's the only easy part. And then after that, you have to update your website and all your social media to change the title there. Uh, you have to change all your marketing materials. You might even have bookmarks or postcards or other swag with your book title or book cover on it. And all of that is now garbage. Um, so it is not just that simple to remove the word cocky from your title. And what Felina is banking on, again, I am not an expert, but this is pretty clear, uh, she's banking on people not having the time, energy, or money to fight this. Because I don't have any books with the word cocky in the title, but if I did and I received this letter, I can't afford a lawyer. Like, I don't have time for this. So I would just, honestly, I would make that change. I would vent about it, and I would probably swear a lot, but I would make that change. But that doesn't make it right. To make matters worse, uh, she has started reporting these books straight to Amazon now, and Amazon, as any author knows, is very anti-author. Amazon makes changes and brings down punishment without letting anybody defend themselves or offer a counter-argument. Uh, and Amazon is always right, and the author is always wrong. So a number of authors have received emails from, face, uh, from Amazon saying that their book is temporarily unavailable because of a report of copyright infringement, and they uh, cannot put the book back up until you prove that you have the right to use the word cocky or... Um, what some people have found out is then you have to like delete your book and re-upload it with a different title. It's just become an absolute mess. To further complicate this all, because this is not a simple matter, um, 
So Felina Hopkins is going after other authors who use the word cocky in their title. However, she has trademarked a word mark. So if these authors are using the word cocky but in a different font, then she has no legal grounds to go after them. However, Amazon doesn't look that deep. So if she complains to Amazon, Amazon steps in and says, hey, you need to change this, and Amazon will not listen to you at all. Again, to further complicate this, the trademark trademark slash wordmark that Felina Hopkins has for cocky is in a font that specifically prohibits using it for wordmarks or trademarks. Um, I don't have the name of the font on hand right now, but a simple Google search, if you're interested, will find it. In the user agreement for that font, it says you cannot use this for a wordmark or trademark. Yet that's what Felina Hopkins has gone and done. So she really has no grounds for the trademark slash wordmark of cocky. But independent authors have no resources to fight this. Um, And authors who depend on Amazon for income don't want to risk their accounts to fight this through Amazon because it might just lead to getting your account banned. So, the Romance Writers Association and a few other people who have legal backgrounds or they have the money to actually take this on have started reaching out to Amazon or they are fighting the trademark. Um, And so, I fully expect that given time, this will resolve itself. Um, The trademark will be invalidated and Amazon will be uh, back on the side of letting authors use the word cocky. Through all of this, the romance and erotica community have been in complete uproar, and it's completely understandable. Uh, The word cocky is... Trademarking the word cocky is a very douchey move. Like, it is... It would be like copywriting the word sword or sorcery, if you're a fantasy author, murder or mystery if you're a murder mystery author, or even the word death if you're a murder mystery author. Um, Like, those are, those examples sound ludicrous. So I hope if you're on the fence on this, you can see how ludicrous trademarking the word copy, uh, trademarking the word cocky is. So Felina has made a lot of enemies within the genre. Um, And there's been incredible backlash. And so she has come out to defend herself with a video that's about an hour and a half long where she talks about a whole bunch of things. Um, But one of her reasons that she has consistently given is that her readers are seeing the word cocky on another book. They're buying that book thinking it's part of her series and they are quote unquote losing money by buying something that's not what they wanted. Um, So she says she's doing it to protect her authors. Um, I call bullshit on that. I'm trying to stay out of it, but I call bullshit on that. If you buy a book through Amazon and you don't like it, or it's the wrong thing, or you don't want to pay for it for whatever reason, Amazon lets you return ebooks. Uh, Same with um, Google Play. I'm not sure if uh, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, iTunes, or Smashwords uh, allow for returns, but I do know that Amazon does, and she is using this 
trademark as a sledgehammer on Amazon. So I am specifically sticking to Amazon. You can return books on Amazon. And to say that your, your readers are buying the wrong thing because of one word in the title really does a disservice to your readers. Your readers should know who your, what your name is. They should know what your pen name is. And if they're looking at a book that has the word cocky in it and it's written by, say, Cameron D. James, obviously that is not a Felina Hopkins book, right? So I don't buy this excuse that um, she is protecting her readers. Uh, I believe that she is attacking other authors because she saw an opportunity to do so. Uh, she saw an opportunity to put a stranglehold on the word cocky to increase her own profits to the detriment of other authors. And she has also made some other claims that people are copying her covers or using her cover models. Uh, I also call bullshit on that. Um, there's really only so much variation you can do with covers, given that uh, you basically want a bare-chested man on your cover. Uh, if you're writing MF or MM, you typically want a bare-chested man on your cover or a very attractive, attractive man on your cover. There's only so much you can do with a cover layout when you're creating your cover. So there are bound to be similarities. And as any self-published author knows, you are quite limited in your choice of stock art, of sexy men or shirtless men or fully clothed men who are still very sexy. Uh, and you are going to have your cover model appear on other people's covers. I've seen my cover models appear, on, like the ones that I use on my Cameron D. James books. I've seen them appear on other books. I've seen them appear on apps in the iTunes store. I've seen them appear on birthday cards. I got a birthday card that had a bunch of hunky men in a cake. And two of them were cover models from my Go Deep slash Go Deeper series. Uh, so those cover models are going to appear everywhere. Uh, there are whole blogs dedicated to uh, publishers using the same stock art for their books. It's not even specifically a self-published author thing. Traditional publishers use stock art and they reuse stock art and they use the same stock art as other people. Um, and so, again, if Felina Hopkins thinks that her readers are not intelligent enough to figure this out, that tells me she has very little respect for her readers. And so I really don't think this is about her readers. It's entirely possible that she has received one or two emails from readers saying this sort of stuff, but one or two does not make this an actual problem to be dealt with. There are always going to be one or two readers that make these sorts of mistakes or they buy something without realizing. I mean, that happens. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to make an enemy of yourself in the entire romance industry to protect your quote-unquote brand. So naturally, the romance industry, all the authors and the publishers and the editors and what have you, they've all said that this has essentially destroyed Felina Hopkins' career. No one will publish her, and no one will read her, and no one will want her books anymore. Unfortunately, that is not true. Um, has she damaged her Felina Hopkins pen name? She absolutely has. 
Is it true that no one will ever buy her books again? No. Uh, There are always going to be readers who are not aware of this situation. There will be readers who are aware of it but don't care. There will be readers who are aware of it, think it's a shitty move, but they like her books so they want to read them anyways. Uh, So there will always be a readership there that will continue to buy her books. And I do not judge those readers at all because it's up to them to decide if this is something that matters to them or not. Um, And I really have no opinion one way or the other uh, about those readers. However, even if the worst of the worst happened and like her sales rock bottom to zero and like they never picked up again, that's still not the end of her career. All she has to do is create a new pen name and then just clearly be careful about not linking it to Felina Hopkins. Um, I have three pen names. They operate entirely separate from each other. Uh, Very few people I'm aware of have made the connection of who is who, uh, like that they're all me. Um, And if they have, if there's people that have figured it out, like it's no big deal. But with modern publishing, it's easy to get away with that. Um, She would have tarnished her Felina Hopkins name in the eyes of romance readers and writers, but Amazon probably doesn't care, so they're not going to ban her account. Um, So that just means she can create a new pen name, write some new stories, release some books under that new pen name, and if she's got a good formula going, she can recapture her sales with this new series and new pen name. The best example I can give of someone recovering from something like this, um, you may recall several years back, there was an author by the name of James Fry who wrote A Million Little Pieces. Uh, It was the quote-unquote memoir of Fry's experience in drug rehab. It It became an Oprah book club book, and so naturally it sold millions of copies. After a while, it came out that he fabricated most of that book. So it wasn't a memoir. It was mostly fiction, part memoir. Uh, And he was shamed very publicly. Uh, He went back on the Oprah show and she confronted him about it. Uh, The publisher even offered readers refunds for the book. Uh, So the publisher lost a shit ton of money over it. Um, and people mocked him relentlessly, and everyone assumed it would be the absolute end of his career. But then a few years ago, I saw an article in the newspaper that uh, not only does James Fry have a new book coming out at the time, um, but he had, I believe it was as many as 12 pen names, and he had a team of writers that would write books for him. So obviously James Fry was quite successful in the writing slash publishing industry. And the fact that he is able to write and publish under his James Fry name um, and still have good sales tells me that the public has largely moved on from that. So if James Fry can do it, Felina Hopkins can do it. There are some things that are different now, of course, because social media is much more prevalent and much more impactful uh, than it was when the whole James Fry thing broke. Um, But 
Felina Hopkins can and likely will recover from it. And there are just going to be segments of the romance and erotica industry that are completely somehow unaware of this um, and will always take a chance on her, uh, whether she publishes under Felina Hopkins or a different name. But she will do fine if she chooses to do fine. As depressing as an end to the episode that is, that does bring us to the end of the episode. Uh, Moral of of the story, don't do a shitty thing like trademarking a common word in the genre, or in any genre for that matter. Book selling, despite what Felina Hopkins thinks, is not a competitive thing. It's not you against everybody else. Think of it this way. You go into a bookstore, you want to buy a book, you see two books you really like. What do you do? You probably buy both of them. You go into an appliance store, you see two refrigerators you like. What do you do? You probably only buy one refrigerator. So buying books are different than buying refrigerators. Buying books, you can buy tons. How many times have you gone into the bookstore not even wanting to buy a book and you walk out with five? Right? Book selling is not competitive. It's not you against everybody else. Book selling is very much a community thing. I promote other people's books all the time. Other people promote my books all the time, and I'm grateful for it. I am not losing sales by promoting other people's stuff. I am not losing sales by other people having similar titles or covers. I'm not losing sales by having other authors use the same cover model. Um, I know an author that has the exact same title as my book, um, and it's Bump and Grind by J. Margot Critch. I recommend you go and read it. She's a fantastic author. See? Like, this is a community thing. Go read her book. I don't mean this to sound like a criticism of the self-publishing industry. However, with self-publishing, you get a lot of people coming into the industry who don't know really what they're doing. They don't know how book selling works. They don't really know how the community of authors works. Um, and so they make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. I made. I have made many mistakes. I continue to make mistakes. But to be a successful self-published author, you have to learn from your mistakes. You get over them. You uh, improve. You take the advice of other people. And if you're a really nice person, you also offer advice to other people. Um, however, there will be some people in the industry and in any industry, honestly, who are always in it for themselves and they don't want to listen to other people's advice, they don't want to integrate with a community, and they just do what they want to do and it's like, fuck everybody else. So, wow. It was down and then it went up and then it went down again. I'm sorry, dear listener. Uh, But that does finally bring us to the end of this episode. If you would like to support this podcast on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash sexformoneypodcast. If you support at $5 a month or more, I will help promote your book. Uh, Check out the Patreon page for more information. Uh, I do also want to mention that just this past week, my second novel, Silent Hearts, uh, got a re-release through my publishing company, Deep Desires Press. 
And so it's got a sexy new cover. It's got an expanded ending. So if you've read it already and you liked it, you might like this re-release. Uh, if you've not read it yet and you're looking for a sexy book, I definitely recommend it. I do want to just give a heads up that it is considered more gay erotica than gay erotic romance, uh, primarily in the fact that the main character has sex with a whole lot of people, um, not just the love interest. Um, and so... I wrote this book way back when, uh, before I even fully understood the rules of erotic romance. Remember I said that I made mistakes and I figured out what they were and I got past them? This is one of them. Uh, so I wrote this book intending it to be erotic romance, but it really should have been classified as erotica. Uh, however, it's a very sexy book. Uh, I have a lot of people that like it, uh, so hopefully you'll like it too. Yeah, and then if you're looking for more sexy books, check us out at IndieErotica.com uh, or CameronDJames.com. At IndieErotica.com, that is a collective of a few uh, erotica and erotic romance authors that I have teamed up with. So there's myself, Cameron D. James, there's Sandra Clare, Master Dominic, and Ethan White. Uh, so we've got lots of uh, romance and kinky erotica on there. Uh, if you're looking for stuff more in the romance end of things, definitely check out deepdesirespress.com. That's the publisher that I have started up with my husband. Uh, and so we have published a lot of really good things um, in erotica and erotic romance and even some not quite erotic romance. Uh, MF, MMFF, you'll find everything there. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Sex for Money podcast and tune in next month where we will finish up our three-part series on making money in the erotic and romantic industry with focusing on writing for your target audience. We'll talk about how that's different than the other approaches, uh, what that might mean for sales, what it might mean for marketing, uh, what it might mean for writing. So join us then and have a good month. Mm -hmm.